0: Why does the Church reflect the polarization of the culture at large? What's the future of Christian higher education, of theological education in specific? Why is formal theological education sometimes seen as irrelevant by the Church? We'll answer these questions and a whole lot more with our special guest, our new Talbot Dean, Dr. Ed Stetzer. I'm your host, Scott Ray.
1: And I'm your co-host, Sean McDowell.
0: And this is Think Biblically from Talbot School of Theology at Biola University. Ed, thank you so much for being with us, and welcome to the Talbot family, uh, taking over as uh, the new Dean of Talbot School of Theology. We're so delighted to have you with us, not only on this podcast, but in, at Talbot in general.
2: Well, looking forward to being here and uh, moving here. July 1, 2023 begins, and looking forward to... Uh... A journey together with with you and lots of our other amazing faculty and staff.
0: Yeah, I think mm. it it, it, it it's a lot of fun coming. Yeah, yeah it's going to so. be great. So tell help our listeners get to know you a yeah, little bit. I just bit, love how
2: you like introduce like the state of the culture, the state of theological education. All of this is going to be addressed in the next few. Yes, minutes. we are. So we're going to cover it yes, all. Yes, we are. I appreciate the bold <laughs> Dan, way that Talbot School of Theology in
0: the ne- in the next forty five <laughs> yeah, exactly minutes. exactly um, cover it all. So help our viewers get to know you yeah. a
2: little bit better.
0: What are some of the things that you are most passionate about? You know, those things that keep you up at night and, yeah. and get you up in the morning.
2: So I, I would say that I'm uh, very driven by uh, helping God's people join Jesus on mission in the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's partly because I'm a, you know, a missiologist, so I actually pursued that as a formal area of training. But but also, I think we live in a very uh, convulsive time. We're in the midst of a cultural convulsion. Turbulence and tumult is the is the reality of our day. And I think the answer is for Christians to stand out, uh, step out in faith, show and share the love of Jesus in the midst of a broken and hurting world. So I'm very driven by that ministry-wise. I would say that, you know, I'm, I'm the father of three amazing daughters, and that, mm. that gives. And when you're the father of three amazing da- daughters, sometimes that keeps you up at night. Uh, yes, and, you know, <laughs> so, so um, Donna and I have been uh, married for—we uh, got married at 20. We're just kids. Don't tell our daughters we got married at 20. Um, you know, so, so those are so much—they're the joy of my life. Um, I love the local church. Ephesians 3.10 says God has chosen the church to make known His manifold wisdom and look forward to uh, even serving here in my local church as well, so those are things that that drive me that I'm passionate about. And yeah. Now,
0: you're, let me just follow up on that sure, briefly. Yeah. Your, your daughter, two, of your daughters are going to school here in Southern California. Yes, that's true. That's true. One, one's at Biola. Well, so actually. the one
2: the one at Biola has a funny story. So there are, uh, of course, I have three ones finishing up her master's degree at the University of Toronto in uh, vocal performance, uh, uh, when, and that she's the oldest, the youngest, and uh, the middle one's at Cal Baptist over in Riverside. And the youngest one, um, we are we're very close. You know, youngest child, youngest daughter, very close to her. But she sat me down. I don't even know, maybe six, seven months ago, maybe longer. And to me and Donna, and said, you know, I, I want, you know, I love, really love you guys, but, but you know, Dad, you're you're at Wheaton, and you've got you know an unusual last name, and everyone would sort of know that I'm your daughter. So I'm going to go to Biola, and uh, so 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 then. Uh, a few months ago, I sat her down and said, "Hey, we're coming too." So, uh, <laughs> but you know, so we're and, the, and her response, uh, she has uh, warmed to the idea since that initial response. But we're the ultimate helicopter parents, I guess. But you know, in, in our world, you know, I mean, you know, leading Christian colleges and universities, there's a handful, and certainly Biola and uh, is one uh, of them. And I've, I've known and appreciated Barry uh, for for years. We've been friends for for years. And so, uh, so yeah, so I, I had to remind her too that, um, you know, it's, she's like probably like there are a bunch of other universities as well, but you know, Biola is uniquely positioned and, and yeah, I'm thrilled to be a part of it. And she has warmed to the idea.
0: I'm
1: glad to so. hear that. Being a McDowell, I have serious sympathy oh, for I your daughter. Oh, I imagine that's a good, point. It's like, a good point. I get it. I'm like, oh, you can't escape from this last name. But that actually brings me to what I wanted and to- And you went
2: to the field though. You went into the same I field. I did.
1: That's a whole nother story. We could, we could talk about that at a different time. Uh, but I'm curious how you navigate having such a visible platform. Because I've seen this with my father growing up. Yeah. I have a decent platform today, live in that mm-hmm. world. Mm-hmm. You're Twitter following, you're speaking. You've got a big platform. How do you navigate that as just as a Christian leader, especially because we've seen a lot of Christian leaders fail yeah. publicly? Yeah. What are some of the downsides of that, maybe? Yeah,
2: I think I think a lot of it comes down to stewardship is uh, mm-hmm. how do you steward your um, you know the 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 place that God has put you? And so I want to steward well what, if any influence that I have, I want to steward well that, 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 that influence. So, so part of that is, is how you think about it. And also, I don't think that I'm entitled or somehow hmm. uh, special in this sense. I think it has to do with the fact probably that I, I, I entered a field that people, um, about three years after I entered the field or graduated, people all of a sudden were very interested in mission, like missional and mission huh. things. And so I, I got to be a voice in some of that space about joining you know the church, joining Jesus On mission in the world, I I would say that um, that there are challenges with that. You know, we're again partly because we're living in a very divided time. People are uh, are mad all the time, and I would say uh, (laughs) you just got to get used to. I mean, you you see the same thing. There are um, you know consistently just people who are unhappy with you. But Mm. at the end of the day, I want to get up and I want to work for an audience of one. I want to please the Lord. I want to be faithful to the Scriptures. I want to uh, help Christians live on mission, but I also recognize that that there, there's really no—there's really very few things you can say that, um, that people won't get upset about. So, you know, I used to recycle tweets. You know, you have some sort of pithy tweet that you put out five <laughs> years ago, and you— Pit it out again. And five years ago, everyone was like, amen. And now it's like, well, actually, you know, and it's sort of... <laughs> Interesting. People are just... And, you know, and I, I, I occasionally retweet my haters, you know, just to just point out that, you know, you got... I, I would say Christian leaders are gonna have to get used to the fact mm-hmm. that, um, that they're gonna be... Uh, if they're gonna be faithful, even just faithful biblically... You're going to be a villain in some people's stories. Mm. And the question is, who, in, in whose story are you going to be that villain? And again, for me, I want to work as an audience of one, faithful to the Scriptures, helping Christians live on mission.
0: Well said. So Ed, as a missiologist yes. uh, and have the heart that you have for glo- global missions and connect- connecting the people of God to the mission of God in the world, what would you say are some of the major hurdles— that are out there to the church continuing to fulfill the Great Commission?
2: Yeah, I think there are—and uh, it depends on where you are. So in the English-speaking Western world, you know, last few months I've, I spent a month in Australia, I've been over in the U.K., uh, of course here in the U.S. and Canada. Um, I, I think in the English-speaking Western world there are, there are uh, challenges in the culture to being faithful. And I think Christians are a little unsure now that they've found themselves on the other side of the cultural divide. Uh, In other words, what we hold to be true, what we hold to be scriptural, the world might seem as small-minded or intolerant. And I think Christians aren't used to being in that space. And it's happened over the last few decades. We've lost our home field advantage. And so I think Christians in some ways sort of maybe lost their footing. I think we're, for example, at an historic low ebb of evangelistic engagement. Um, you know, wow. 30 years ago, you know, people were going to EE classes and, and, and you know, training in their churches how to share their faith. Today, usually when I hear someone talk about evangelism, it's almost always them sort of maybe pointing out how people did it badly rather than how we might do it rightly. So, mm-hmm. so I think one of the challenges is there's some, um, there's some real headwinds from culture pushing against some of those mm-hmm. things. And Christians find themselves, like I said, on the, uh, on, on the wrong side from the world's perspective of the cultural divide. So I think, I think uh, that's a challenge. Now you go outside of the English-speaking Western world, the situation is different. You go to the uh, majority Muslim world, you're having a very different conversation of religious persecution, of how do you engage cultural uh, context of uh, you know, people of Muslim or co- backgrounds that are shaped by their context as well. So it's a complex answer. But in the Western world, I would say that's one of the challenges. How do we help Christians regain solid footing... And I don't mean that. I mean, I think theologically, you know, Christ is the cornerstone and the scriptures are faithful and true, but it's more, how do we help them regain confidence in the gospel and their Christian witness? And I would also say a lot of Christians have kind of um, not done well with this as well. So how do we help, um, you know, recognize that there have been diverse ways and not all those ways have gone well the last few years? How do we find the way? And one of the reasons I, I came to Biola and Talbot was I like the the language you use about winsome convictions, about, you know, I've heard Barry Curry talk about a you know, hard center and soft edges, and all those things, I think, resonate well. A lot of Christians right now go into war, and I don't, I don't think you can war against the world and reach the world at the same time. Hmm. So I think the question is, how do we stand up? How do we stand out uh, how do we remain faithful on what are really difficult issues? And and that kind of goes to your question, too. I mean, I wrote an article. In, you know, I just got an email a minute ago from Billy Wilson, the president of uh, Oral Roberts University, one of our sister schools. Mm. Uh, Billy's a great guy. Um, you know, but when they were in the Sweet 16, I know nothing about sports. I had to Google what it was. but um, This is a big deal. It was a big deal. Yeah. And they also got significant pushback to say they shouldn't be allowed to compete. That's right. And so I wrote an article in USA Today um, defending them and, and defending uh, biblical values and, and speaking about what's called the Equality Act and everything, other things. And I got to tell you, the pushback was substantive. I mean, phone calls and angry letters and, and wow. more. So you have to acknowledge that there are things that we, we have to stand for, but how we engage in these conversations really matters to our Christian witness. Now, Christian witness is not everything. You can't Base everything you do on witness, on sharing the gospel. You can't you can't winsome your way out of every issue, you know. Because right. we care about being winsome, mm-hmm. but I, but I think finding that balance is a real key thing in the cultural moment that we're in, and I think we're not re- figured that out fully.
0: Hmm. One one of the things that I think I, I've sensed just in the last few years, particularly since the Obergefell decision, mm-hmm. <clears throat> is feeling like <clears throat> excuse me, I'm an exile in my own state. Totally, yeah. An exile in my own community, hmm. and sharing the gospel as an exile. Is really different than sharing the gospel when you, well, I like the way you put it. When you have the home field advantage, home field advantage yeah. So, how how would you advise folks who are in, you know, maybe maybe, you know, evangelicals like us who are in areas of the country that are more hostile yeah. to Christian faith than others to share to share your faith well, while at the same time recognizing sort of recognizing the landscape for what it is, right. being an exile in your own community.
2: Yeah, it's funny people have. Uh... Pointed out to me that I have uh, made a move from the frying pan to the fire when it comes to where you live geographically. <laughs> At least it's warmer here, you know. It's but but you know you're in very like for example, um, I think it when, might be it
0: might be a warmer fire. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, well, but yeah, like when Ruby <laughs> yeah.
2: Wade was overturned, it did nothing in Illinois or, or California. So we're right. still That's having cru- to advocate in and around uh, cru- issues of life. We're still in the process of trying to persuade people. Uh, but but what I would say is. It is. I lived in Nashville. You know, I'm not, I'm not a Southerner, but I lived in the American South for a season. I guess I was born and grew up outside of New York City. Um, but there is a different feel. You know, the assumption in the suburban Nashville area where I lived is, is that, you know, when you move in a neighborhood, people ask, hey, you want to come to our church? Um, when I came to Chicago, it was two years before somebody engaged a faith conversation with me. Now, a lot of people might have known that I was, but two years before somebody started a conversation mm. with me that was to share the gospel, I actually wrote an article about it. It was an Uber driver, Jane the Uber driver, so, uh, and she did a great job. Um, and so, so what I would say is here we find ourselves perceived by a significant percentage of people in Illinois, California, that, that actually see us as part of the problem, not part of the solution as part of what needs to be, uh, we need to move on from, not we need to move toward. Uh, but I think the opportunity here is, is that, you know, in, 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 all across the English-speaking Western world, you know, I was just, um, you know, I teach some at Wycliffe, Wycliffe Hall at Oxford, and I, my, my course is uh, Christianity and Contemporary Culture. And the reality is, is, I think everybody in places like the UK or Australia or, or you know, California or Illinois, and increasingly in Nashville as well, that the ideas that are driving the cultural shift are actually collapsing in on themselves. And the whole modern experiment is, is failing. And, you know, if you had said three years ago where we would be right now in a culture, I don't think anybody would have believed it. You know, remember 2019, making those great, you know, resolutions and more. But, um, but I, so I, I think that part of what we have to do is also show an alternative story. So this is what it looks like when Christians, changed by the power of the gospel, live faithfully in line with the Scriptures, and their lives are full and meaningful, and they, they're they doing good works, and, you know, they see our good works and glorify our Father who's in heaven. But the way they live has proven itself out. And I, I think this is, you know, and Sean, I love the work you've been doing, you know, you engage often younger generations. To to really help them be strong in their faith, so they can mm-hmm. they can live differently than the world around us. I think that's going to be a key future for us. So in places that are more hostile, you know, and and I, I you know you think about um, you know I, I just preached um, a couple of months ago, what time we we're recording this, at a church in Australia, where the um, it's called City on a Hill Church. It's it would be e- easy to Google, and the pastor there's name's Guy Mason, and a guy who uh, became the head of a they would kick a footy club, very prominent footy club in Australia. Huh. Um, that somebody that's somebody. Out-
0: that's Australian rules football. Yeah, there you go. Not, not footy. Yeah, that's yeah. Not, right, that's right, right. right.
2: Footy, right? Footy. So the guy who becomes the head of this club is the chairman of the, I think, the elders of the board at this church. And people look at the doctrinal statement. The church holds views that are orthodox on issues of sexuality and more. Um, and it's on the and and it becomes the front page news of every newspaper in Australia. And they actually. This per, this person gets pushed out of the job. Wow! So, so I think that um, we're seeing mm. already in other parts of the English-speaking Western world where this leads, and we're trying to figure out how to how to navigate that. But we start uh, a few steps back from where it might be in Nashville, where you say, "Hey, do you go to church? Do you know Jesus?" Uh, here, it might be negative perceptions are the starting point. But the, but Jesus is not done. The Holy Spirit's still That's at right. work. And um, you know, I just listened to a. Um, hmm. A podcast uh, at the time of this recording just yesterday, uh, but someone I'd work with, uh, Molly Werther, a professor of history at the University of North Carolina, uh, talking about—and she wrote Apostles of Reason, I'm, I'm using it in a book I'm writing—and she just talked about how she just came to faith in Jesus. She, she uh, in, in a secular environment, here in the gospel, J.D. Greer, Tim Keller, and others, uh, and, and Colin Hansen did the interview for the Gospel Coalition, and we just emailed this morning. Her clear articulation of her seeing, understanding, and responding to the gospel was deeply moving. The fact wow. that secular contexts are growing doesn't mean the gospel can't still be advancing.
1: yeah. Amen to that. Now, wh- how much of that intersects with questions of politics? Because I can only imagine in 2024, we can see the writing on the wall, yeah. how divisive and bitter and all the issues will be at play coming up. Has that been a part of your missiology in the past? How, wh- what yeah. role do you anticipate playing, if anything, yeah. as the election's near? Yeah.
2: And it's tricky because it depends on what you mean by politics. So for example, mm-hmm. I wrote In that USA Today article about Mm -hmm. orthodoxy around issues of uh, sexuality, and I specifically mentioned a bill called the Equality Act, which I believe is the greatest threat to religious liberty in our lifetime. Um, I agree. So, I guess the question then becomes: Is is that political? Um, You know, I encourage pastors to Mm -hmm. speak up on issues of pro life issues. Uh, I I think it really matters. Yet that. There are laws right now being debated and being passed. I think it. I think it matters how we speak of immigrants and refugees, people made in the image of God, worthy of dignity and respect. So I, I think there are uh, there are realities that are have political ramifications. Now, in my case, you know, when I came to Wheaton, I was the head of the. Uh, I just came as the head of the Wheaton College Billy Graham Center, and. Uh, and part of what my job was, you know, Wheaton has this you had this unique center. This mm. um, my job was just to help people engage culture. So, um, so I interviewed in 2016. I interviewed uh, major presidential candidates. I interviewed uh, uh, Marco Rubio, who I you know I, he happened to go to a, go to a church that I was the teaching pastor at, and uh, Jeb Bush, Ben Carson. I mean, fascinating conversations. Yeah. Um, and and I and I think you know, and I was also I was I mean, I was a public commentator. I was at Christianity Today at the time. Uh, a couple of years after that, Wheaton asked me to step into a, a dean role, uh, and so I was. The, I've been the dean, and depending on when this releases, I may still be the dean. I'm the dean until the end of June <laughs> <Sure>. <laughs> at Wheaton College School of Mission, Ministry, and Leadership. It did lead to a shift because it's less of a public commentator role and more okay. of an equipping uh, and leadership role. Um, so, so, and now, of course, you know, even from here, I've been a dean and a professor at Wheaton College, still head of the Billy Graham Center, but. You know, the school here is what I'd say, faculty-wise, six times, seven times larger. So I think for me, I'm more... Uh, there's different stages, and you want to be faithful to where God has placed you and the and the voice He's given you. Um, I think for here, I'm going to be more focused on how do we equip well uh, Christians? Because remember, for those of you who don't know, the Talbot School of Theology is also the robust undergraduate program at Biola University every... A student takes 30 hours for a Bible minor. Um, So we want them to come out well-equipped for the world that is uh, not as friendly as it used to be. Uh, But then also, too, our our graduate program, over a 1,000 students in in our seminary program and more. So um, for me, um, I I think we don't need to step back from issues that the world would try to say is just politics. I don't think... That uh, issues of uh, morality and justice and and character—I don't think those are just politics, um, but I—but I think they all have political dimensions. So, but my role here probably will be more uh, equipping pastors and leaders. I'll still, Talbots asked me to uh, the schools asked me to still continue my. Uh, speaking and writing ministry. Um, hopefully, by the time I start this job July 1st, I will have finished my book on the future of evangelicalism. Uh, if not, I am in trouble with Mrs. Stetzer. Yes, exactly. Um, and, so, uh, and then I've got another book under contract. So uh, I'm going to continue writing and speaking. But mostly what I do is train pastors and leaders. But those things will have dimensions that the world would that sometimes see as political. Hmm.
0: So Ed, you spend a lot of time in this particular life way, yeah, Lifeway. Uh, nine years in, of Lifeway, in doing a lot, a lot of research on the the state of the church, yep. uh, the state mm-hmm. of the Bible and theology and things like that. Um, what, as you reflect on the state of the evangelical church today, what are you encouraged yep. about, and what are you worried about?
2: Yeah, so I, I need. I think I think people need to realize that um, the perception of evangelicals in uh, the corridors of power is, um, is, is probably negative. Um, you know, I talk to a lot of reporters. I work a lot with religion reporters intentionally because I want them to have an evangelical who, who, you know, who really like really believes the evangelical stuff to, to call. Um, and some of them are very fair. Most of them are very fair in the religion reporter world. Sometimes it's more broadly. Um, and I think that's probably unfair. I really wish, I mean, I think there's sometimes a dismissiveness towards, mm. uh, people of devout faith, um, who, and and what I would say is I, I see the tutoring programs in a small town in Alabama uh, engaging uh, per- persons coming from uh, financially disadvantaged, uh, marginalized communities, uh, crossing racial language and ethnic barriers at a small, wonderful Pentecostal church in rural Alabama. Just use that as an example. And you go to... like. Places like that, that that sometimes people in New York and L.A. I've lived in New York and now I'm living near L.A. Uh, that they might be dismissive of, you know, called flyover country. Mm. But those people are showing and sharing the love of Jesus in ways that really encourage me. Specifically, I would say there are three or four because I'm asked this question often in the media as well. I'm encouraged the future of evangelicalism by Christians who are seeking to live out the truths of the gospel, Mm. its implications in their lives, and I see that all over the country. I see that all over the world. Um, Second, I'm encouraged by the continued growth of church planting. Uh, I think church planting is—now, I've written more on church revitalization than I have on church planting, but but also, too, many of those church plants are engaging uh, communities that are um, places you'd be shocked to see church plants— Right, so i I recently did some stuff uh, with a group in uh, San, San Francisco, the Bay Area, you just these church plants proclaiming the gospel in a very secular environment and being seeking to live out faithful the truths the truths of the gospel. I would also say the beautiful increased diversity of the church. Um, you see that in just in the UK. I, I preach at a church pretty regularly there called Kensington Temple. It's the It's a flagship church of the Elam Pentecostal denomination. It's right in Notting Hill in London. So everyone knows the neighborhood from some movie that I didn't see. So, um, (laughs) uh, but, um, but the, uh, I go to that church and it's, 122 countries represented, men wow. and women from every tongue, nice. tribe, and nation in London. It's amazing. Or even at Moody Church, I was the interim at Moody Church for for four years, almost four years, which nobody should be the interim of anything for four years. But anyway, I was the interim pastor at Moody Church for longer than three of their pastors have been the pastor of Moody Church. <laughs> but, but 82 countries represented there. To see that just powerful is a is a beautiful thing. And and I would say too, I'm fourthly, and that's my my four things is I'm encouraged what I see in the next generation because. It's—we're it's, in a season of clarification. Being a Christian, which was the default position—you know, Congress is 90-something percent Christian by self-identification. Now, I'm, I don't think there's actually an ongoing spiritual revival going in Congress. People have thought, believed, that there is a cultural value with identifying with Christianity. And I think mm. for older people like in Congress, it probably is. So you mm. say, I'm a Christian and identify as such. Um, that's not true for a 24-year-old yeah. today. So I think what you're seeing is for that 18-year-old, when she identifies as a Christian, there's a real seriousness to it, whereas identifying as a Christian maybe in prior generations was something, you know, you did because it had a cultural value. There was a cachet associated with it. So I think one of the—and again, I don't think it's good that the decline in self-identified Christianity is here. I think sometimes people, yay, you know, I don't think it's good. But one of the silver linings of that cloud is— a greater clarity on what what a Christian is mm. and is not, and I think so. You're seeing uh, nominalism. So nominalism is the, the perhaps the greatest religion in English-speaking Western world. So nominalism is falling mm. away. What's replacing it is mostly secularism, but also among the next generation of more devout faith and practice. So what we find is. Younger mm-hmm. adults tend to be more serious about their faith. They have they hold faith at a lower level. When they do, they hold it at a higher level. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that's an important distinction.
1: Okay, so nine years at Lifeway, yeah. four years at Moody, this time at Wheaton. How old are you? At? Yeah, so, <laughs> Sorry, so, no, resist. Resist. so yeah, first of all, it was not four years us. at Wheaton. <laughs> I was
2: at four years at Moody. So I was seven years. It's so funny because people like I was. I was talking to a friend of mine, and she she's uh, we were direct messaging on uh, Twitter. I'll, I'll name her Sharon Hottie Miller. She's she's uh, she's I've had hosted her on podcasts. She's got a new book on kindness. So so she says to me, you were just at Wheaton such a short time. And I said, I was, at f- I was seven years at Wheaton. That's like <laughs> <a> bi- <laughs> this time for a biblical jubilee. Um, so I was at nine years at Lifeway, seven years at Wheaton. Before that, I was at the North American Mission Board as its missiologist okay. in residence for five years. And then uh, I was a seminary professor for three years. And then prior to that, I was a church planner. So I started... Don and I, wow. Don and I moved to the inner city of Buffalo, New York, when we were 21 years old. It was the fastest shrinking city in America at the time. And we felt God called us to plant a church oh. uh, among the urban poor, and so most people who first read anything about it uh, by Ed Stetzer uh, read a church planning book. And so I, I wrote um, what was called first. It was called planting new churches in a postmodern age. Of course, I know. You had to call it Oh, that. I didn't call it that, but it, it you know. It was, it, was, it was a little blue book, and then and then language sort of shifted. You know, and these publishers, you know. Uh, so it was then planting missional churches. Yeah. Um. But but that's sort of the space. Now, I think that's part of why I love the church. So yeah. one of the things that's going to make people nervous at Talbot is every once in a while I'm going to be at this a wonderful church. You know, I, I sometimes tweet that I'm. I got a free Sunday, I want to come, I'll preach at a small church if you're under 100, here's what it yeah. is. And then I'll sometimes tweet after that, I miss being a local church pastor. And it always makes people nervous <laughs> at wherever I work, yep. because it doesn't mean I'm going to quit. But I think that, I can't think of a more important role or job than that of the local
1: church pastor. So, So anyway, so that's, that's kind awesome. of part of my... By by the the way, Ed, when you sent out that tweet, I don't know, six or eight weeks ago, one of my friends, who's probably the most influential person, one of the most influential in my son's life, one of his coaches, local pastor, small church, he's like, he called me, he goes, you see what Ed did? I'm so glad he's at Talbot because most people don't realize how hard it is to be a small church pastor. True. For somebody like Ed to step in, so I love that. I might copy that someday. I maybe I'll tag you and just offer that as well. No, it's I'm super. Free. It's, super great it's yeah, My kids are gone. You but.
2: never know uh, where you're going to end up, and so I, I have a rule. Mm-hmm. Okay, I put it on Facebook because um, you know I'll say yes, but you know I'm gonna. So if I end up at some really weird place, I'm gonna preach something that maybe. There you go. There you go. <laughs> you know, um, but but I've ended up at a uh, Japanese background uh, Presbyterian wow. church. I've ended up at interesting. a interesting. Black um, uh, Missionary Baptist Church. Uh, I've ended up at a couple of Pentecostal churches, uh, uh, Southern Baptist Church. The most recently was uh, Irvine Harvest Community Church, which is funny because I went there and I tweeted, as everyone said, Harvest isn't a small church. I said, no, it's not that Harvest. Yeah, it was a little this, different. <laughs> it's this wonderful church. Um, Talbot students there, got to meet Talbot students there. That's fine. And so, yeah, so I love, I love doing that. And one of the things I, I want to do is you know on most Sundays, I mean not most, probably almost all Sundays, I'm preaching uh, somewhere uh, because I just love the church. And part of my um, move here is I'm teaching pastor and scholar in residence at Mariners Church, uh, which is in Orange County. You live in Orange County. He lives in Orange County. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. yep. we, but we're in Los Angeles County at Talbot. So I'm learning the geography, you but just across the the border there. So so I love the local church. Eric Geiger is the pastor there, and we have been yeah, close great. friends for. 15 years. I used to Great. be his teaching pastor in Miami when he was at a church in Miami. Huh. So we're just continuing that tradition. We serve as vice presidents of Lifeway to get together. Okay. But again, nine years at Lifeway, seven years at Wheaton, I have not changed jobs a lot. I just wanted to get that out there.
1: We that's appreciate that. Time. I, I sense you're getting this question a lot, so don't worry. Well, take deep breath. We're it's glad thing, to have you. It's a thing. Like <laughs> I guess it feels like just a quick time at Wheaton, but seven wonderful years. That, that is years. awesome. That's, that's so a we good show. We had a great time, and
2: I love the folks at Wheaton, and I'm thankful. We saw, you know, at the time of this recording, we just did graduation, and to see uh, students, we had students from probably 11, 12 countries walk across cool. that stage. Um, it was, cool. it was, it was, it was super funny. fun, and it felt like a— yeah kind Of a nice conclusion to conclude at a graduation time, so let me let me ask yeah.
0: you. You'll notice he did not answer your question. Which question? <laughs> I know, he oh,
2: didn't I'm, it's <laughs> on Wikipedia. I'm 56 years old. I think that I don't think that's a secret. So, that's so, awesome. and it's, it's always weird. You can't, like, uh, you know, I, you I don't, find I don't that know stuff, how yeah. people know that, but it's like on Wikipedia, that so it's 56 funny. So years so it must old. Be true, I was born right? on September 2nd, 1966, in Manhasset, New York, at Jewish Hospital. So now you know all there the you specific go. details. Amazing, amazing.
1: Well, here's, here's a tougher question yeah. for you than that one. Probably one of the hardest issues that the church has dealt with over the past few years, especially during COVID, is just polarization, yeah. division. We see it in the wider culture, clearly. We see it within the church. As a missiologist and just someone who loves the local church, what's your advice how to navigate this? Because when I look at myself, I think, I want to die on the right issues, yeah, totally. and I don't know that I totally. always do, but it's like, I want to be as charitable as I can be towards people on secondary issues, die on the right ones, yeah. what's your advice for people, given there's so much difference right. on racial issues, whatever the issues are?
2: Yeah, and I, I would say that one of the first things is you're just gonna have to get used to the fact that no matter what you do, people are gonna be happy with you. I think, I think we had this really very nice season um, mm. of <laughs> maybe from 80s and the 90s <laughs> and into the 2000s that were really outliers historically, um, hmm. where, uh, and I think a lot of this was Billy Graham's influence is Billy Graham. Wow. We of with kind of in the still the shadow when Billy Graham sort of brought everyone together, um, you know, and we could, you know, we could have promise keepers, right? And a million men could go in the mall and talk about issues that were actually hmm. challenging in our culture, right? It's, um, I think it's a little young for you to have been at that meeting, but I wonder, you know, you might've uh, been to a promise was, keepers I thing was or two. I, yeah. I went, yeah. I went. Yeah, so you went with, yeah. He
0: went with his dad. He went with his dad, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. exactly, just to
2: date us. Um, but, you know, even Coach McCartney talking about issues of racial reconciliation and more, mm-hmm. I think it really matters, still matters mm-hmm. that we speak up on those issues. But doing that today would get you pushback from different quarters. It's just, it's a That's different, true world that's right and I think partly you have to remember that um, that when you're a pastor and or a church leader and you step into stuff and you use language for example that that is language that is uh, associated with um, whole movements, you may not necessarily be trying to associate with that entire movement but then all of a sudden people are like, well well I heard my pastor use this or I heard one of our staff use this is that what we mean? Is that what we believe at our church? So I think it's been a real mm. time of sorting. I, I called it... I'm the editor of a magazine, uh, general editor of a magazine called Outreach Magazine, and um, and I wrote in there, I called it the great sort. So people mm. are sorting themselves where before... Well, if you go back 50 years ago, they sorted themselves theologically by denomination. So you know, you're an Anglican, you would go to Newtown, you look for an Anglican church, and I don't I'm not necessarily saying this is true, but my guess is if you went to a new town, it wouldn't necessarily be, I have to be in an Anglican church. 50 years ago would be the case. 20, 30 years ago, it was, I got to be an evangelical and maybe a Pentecostal or a charismatic, um, you know, spirit-filled tradition or a different tradition. Uh, today, increasingly, it's sorting ideologically. That's right. So people that we held common things, we believe the gospel the same way. We believe Jesus died on the cross for our sins in our place. We We believe the authority of scripture, but we're Speaking up on social issues in a different way, I think that's a a big shift. And it's really multifaceted. You know, I just was at the installation service of uh, Charlie Dates uh, at Salem Baptist Church in Chicago. Uh, If you've never been to an installation service in a historic African American church, it is a fascinating and powerful experience. Um, But, you know, even people in different races, ethnicities, backgrounds, and cultures are trying to figure out how to speak up on these issues and to encourage and to stay in the same faith community as people uh, who maybe express those things differently. So what I would say is part of what we're going to figure out, we're going to have to figure out, is how we can disagree on some things that are—for for example, when it comes to, uh, you know, talk about politics earlier, um, uh, you know, I see Christians, uh, Christian pastors constantly commenting on, on uh, politics in a way that can become overwhelming— in ways, and I'm, I sometimes want to say maybe don't. Maybe that's not the place to use your voice. For example, I don't think Jesus had a preferred marginal tax rate that was he was really <laughs> wanting to see that level. I see pastors commenting on that. Now, let me just say that the tax rate here in California is too high. So I have an opinion on that. But but I but I would say that there are people who hold to the same view of the authority of Scripture, the the need for personal conversion, who would. Walk with us on issues of being pro-life, um, uh, caring about issues of, of justice, uh, caring about how we uh, treat people uh, around the world and in our own communities, who, uh, who really recognize that one of the great uh, issues that mm-hmm. face before us are issues of gender, identity, and sexuality. Um, and, and I would just say that maybe we need to acknowledge that we're going to need one another more. However, I actually don't think we're going to see um, cultural convulsions historically have um, we see one in the 60s here in in the U.S. in the 60s, mm. late 60s, early 70s, late 1800s to early 1900s? They seem to come every 60 years. Some authors have pointed out, and they seem to take a longer time to resolve then we're, we're maybe through three years, maybe it might be six to eight years, maybe we're halfway through. So I think our students and pastors and church leaders that I work with a lot are going to need reservoirs of resilience to walk through a more conflicted time. Good point. We're going to need communities of support. We're going to need to find mm-hmm. ways to walk in commonality with people who share the same view of the gospel with us, even when we may disagree on mm-hmm. how to address some cultural issues.
0: Ted, you've been in Christian higher education for seven years at Wheaton.
2: Thank you. Seven years. How many seven, years? Seven, seven long years, years Seven long years. And now you're, now you're heading you, into— Thank you, Sharon Hoddy-Miller. Seven years.
0: <laughs> and then, you know, you're now into this stretch, at yeah. starting soon at, at Biola right. with, with Talbot as an embedded seminary within a broader Christian university. I've noticed lots of observers on the scene almost writing an obituary mm. for Christian higher education— mm-hmm. um, what do you what do you see as the future for Christian higher education and do you think that obituary is on target or premature uh, how, how do you feel well about it's that?
2: it's um obituary might be too strong but there's some obituaries I mean mm. we're seeing Christian schools close uh you know sometimes moving online is a you know a variation mm. of that as well I think um, I think uh, now, again, it's, it's sort of like preaching to the choir, because I'm assuming the people who listen to this podcast believe these things. But maybe we can ask them to join us in seeing the treasure that universities, Christian union colleges and universities mm-hmm. are for. Uh, I mean, the reality is, you know, I, you know, to see students come to a Christian college or university, see their worldview. Uh, line up with the scriptures and again I don't expect a 17 year old to come in um, you know with that but to see them be challenged one of the reasons I love the 30 hours here at Biola to see them challenged and to be rich in the scriptures to engage in theological understanding I, I think um, I think we really need to ask the question uh, for for many Christians even listening here how do we advocate for the role of the Christian university, and you know we care about liberal arts, we have multiple programs here. I, I would say um, there has been a pretty big shift in church practices. So if we go to now the seminary level, um, and just so people know, we, we call it, I'm the dean of the Talbot School of Theology, and that includes our undergrad and our grad. And it, sometimes people just say seminary, and and we do have a seminary, but but it's the Talbot School of Theology is the totality uh, of that. You're undergraduate faculty, aren't you, Sean? I'm full time at Talbot, but I good. do one undergrad class. One undergrad class. Okay, yeah. good, good, good. Um, so so with that being said, I think um, the reality is, and we found this at Wheaton. So, you know, we saw our program uh, in two years double in size, and the reason wow. we did is we wanted to stay close to the church. Now it's much smaller mm-hmm. than Talbot's program, so. We had uh, maybe 400 uh, non-duplicating headcount in our program, but, um, but in the number of hours doubled in size because we created partnerships with, um, you know, the, the, the Open Bible Churches is a wonderful mm-hmm. Pentecostal denomination that, that we're there. they send us students as well. We partnered with um, Propel, uh, Christine Kane's organization, and, and saw over 100 women go through. And right now we mm-hmm. have, I think, probably still 100 women doing their master's degree uh, there, uh, we partnered with Acts 29 We have a cohort of Acts 29 students going through this together. We have, uh, so we, so we, we intentionally ask questions like, how do we make it, uh, accessible, but it's still, uh, you know, Wheaton's a quality education, Talbot's a quality education. Sure. Um, so what, what I say to them is, you know, you might come, like they might come three times a year and take classes, but they're going to do all the reading and all the writing. We, we don't, we don't want to, um right now, you know, there's a, a bit in Christian theological education, there's in some court contexts a kind of a race to the bottom. Let's make it as easy, as short, um, and as accessible as possible. And I'm, I'm for accessibility, I'm for affordability, but I don't want to race to the bottom to do the least. I want mm-hmm. us to, and one of the things I'm passionate about Talbot is to have the robust theological education. But the reality is, a lot of churches don't see that as important like they did 30, mm. 40, 50 years ago. Mm. So I think by providing ways, we want to re- we really want to invite students to come uh, stay, live with us locally here at Talbot. We have a wonderful residential program. But we also have robust online program. We, we have uh, other ways you can engage. I mean, the apologetics program you're in is predominantly online. It is, yeah. And, uh, and you know, I was just over at the... Uh, Oxford Center for Christian Apologetics, and they were talking mm-hmm. about the number one apologetics program in the world is, mm. is over at, at, at Biola mm. and Talbot, and I love that. So so what I would say is, I don't think the obituary, obituary is written. I think undergrad is in challenging time, but you've got to remember, too, there's like, um, I, think, I think, I'm trying to remember if it's one or two million, it's either, I forget which one, but there's like a whole lot less students after That's the right. pandemic than the beginning. That's right. It's just people said, I'm not going to do it anymore. And now we're about to go into a demographic cliff that about 15, 16 years ago, people have in kids. Um, and I would just say that on the other side, I think um, Christian universities are going to emerge. I think stronger, but it also we're going to need the the help of churches and schools. I was just on on the phone mm-hmm. with a with a pastor um, over on the other side of of town uh, here in the Southern California area, and he said to me, "You know, we just have to help our students see the value of Christian uh, education, higher education." And so, I don't think it's there, but I think we are through some tough times and. I hope our, our listeners will be engaged in in helping to advocate for that and know that, Talbot, we're going to work to engage church spaces uh, even more effectively than we have. We have already, but even more effectively than we have so that we can make uh, education more accessible to to students who, who maybe can't relocate. We want you—if you can, come sure. here and be yeah, with we us. Of be be, we have both options.
1: No, I, got one, I got one last question for yep. you about this, but first off, I just have to know you are the first guest who's brought a desktop— it's not a desktop. Inter- it's that a, is a desktop. It's a <laughs> <16-inch Mac. laughs> 16 inch Mac. 16 inch Mac is called a 16, not 60. Oh. It's a
2: 16 inch Mac. And I'm sorry. All right. that, what is that little thing? That's, oh, that's like nothing. It's, is got that a even super, a Mac? it's got a superhero on it's it. It's got man. a superhero. On, you now. know, it's probably copyrighted and you're putting it on the video. So, violation of that. All right.
1: God. Well now that's the issue you have to
2: deal with. That's as true. The dean, I am the right? dean. So we I need to talk about to your you. copyright infringement.
1: <laughs> We're gonna get a letter from Marvel. <laughs> so so my question is spell out for us specifically the value in a theological education. So you know I teach in the Apologetics program a subgroup of okay. that, let me stop Talbot. There. That's all I know is that you
2: teach in the Apologetics Program. And Fair you're, so, but you're in a subgroup <clears> of Talbot.
1: Well, I mean, just it's one department. Okay, of so Talbot, department, it's a department. So the Apologetics
2: Program is a department, separate department at yeah, Talbot. Yeah, it's a program okay. within. Okay. Program within See, I'm Talbot. learning as I go. So, so I use these interviews to learn things. Okay. So
1: one of the things that I do is I, I push our program because I believe in it. And I tell students a certain things about the value of it. So, for example, the, the letters after your name have a lot less value than they did. They yeah. might open up some doors, Agreed. gives you some credibility. But so so that helps. Yeah. The idea of just having a deadline when papers are due creates a yeah. certain level of discipline. Yeah. I go the class on evil and resurrection. I go through every paper and give very personalized feedback they can't get. Love the that discussion with their other, uh, not only the faculty at times, right. but with the other discussion boards mm-hmm. interacting, mm-hmm. there's that value. I try to lay out for people what that value is because a lot of people think, well, Sean, I can just, instead of going to your class, you have debates on the resurrection online. I can just watch that. Sure. I can watch William Lane Craig online. Sure. I can learn all this stuff. And in the past, I'd say, well, you don't know what's reputable on the internet. True. Well, now you've got Wheaton and you've got Biola giving courses online, yeah. people can do free. Yeah. So what's the value for somebody to spend their time and their money getting a degree in theological education today?
2: Yeah, so uh, 21 years of age, just got married at 20 finished up my undergraduate degree in biology and chemistry, Donna in education, moved to the inner city of Buffalo, New York, kind of not thinking I needed theological education. Mm -hmm. Um, And I had taken two courses from a school at that time that was sort of moving away from being a Christian school. So I took two religion courses and quickly realized that... um, and I'm so thankful that like people didn't record my sermons back then. But, <laughs> I <feel> the
1: same. <laughs> can you like me just imagine? <laughs>
2: I was terrible at times. Um but but I quickly learned that I need to know more, that leading is a complex thing. So we talk about leadership, but also even theologically. And mm-hmm. you know, I was kind of I was already kind of passionate about theology just as a young undergrad. I just okay. mattered to me. But what what education does is it forces you, because you're, and you're forcing yourself, but it forces you to engage topics you might not normally engage. Hmm. So I was very interested in uh, early on, maybe uh, as a new pastor, like Reformed theology, I was very interested in Reformed theology. So I could read all day long, but maybe I didn't really like read a lot about maybe the Holy Spirit or maybe about uh, about apologetics or the other things. So going through a prescribed course of study, I think is so helpful because it enables you to engage resources and writings that that people who really think through these things mm-hmm. have said these are helpful representative ways for you to learn about theology, mm-hmm. about the Bible. So you ought to know some things about those topics. You ought to know about theology. You ought to you ought to be able to go through what you know pneumatology is and what your soteriology is. And, yeah. And, and and those things are not things that you would normally just pick up a book on soteriology. But then someone's going to have a conversation with you on what do you believe about salvation, and and how does how is God at work, and what does it mean that He's drawing women and men to Himself? So I would say a, pres- a prescribed course of study takes you on that journey. Uh, it is for some people, like sometimes you know churches will be looking, and they'll look for somebody and having a Bible you know, major or something or or a seminary degree will be part of it. And, I, and I, so I think that's good. For me, it's more, I want you to be prepared. And the people at theological institutions, and you, wanna, you don't want to pick one that's kind of aligned with where you are, right? So, because yeah. they've thought through the, the, the mm. kind of things you need to know, and you probably haven't mm. thought about those mm-hmm. things in the same way that they have. And so mm. I'm very thankful for that. So I did, you know, I was pastoring. And so I did, um, I did two master's degree when I was full-time pastoring in wow. church planning. Uh, and then and then I did a dean in. I was full time pastoring in church planning. So and then I eventually did the PhD when I was a professor. But um, so I, I think that's a, a big part of it. I would say too, it is an investment. And but it's it also um, when you bring that level of investment. Um, and I've seen this with students. You know, when when we have students that aren't vested in their own education, maybe someone else is is paying for it. Um, they aren't invested often. So when you're paying for this, you are. Vesting in this commitment and on this journey, and I want you to know at, at Talbot and at other institutions, great. right, that we see it as a stewardship. You're 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 trusting us to steward your time well. That's
1: great,
0: Ed. I think this has been so helpful for us. I think I hope our view I hope our viewers have enjoyed getting to know a bit uh, of the new dean at Talbot School of Theology. We're looking so forward to having you come and start. Can't wait. And uh, uh, I want to encourage our, our viewers to be sure and keep. Dr. Stetzer, in your prayers, as he assumes his new role as dean, keep Talbot and Biola in your prayers as we, you know, we still face challenges. Uh, the head the headwinds of culture are pretty strong are. here here in California. Mm-hmm. And so we'd appreciate you all. And keep
2: what on. a great place to study because yeah, you're, exa- you're seeing exactly. where culture could be in some of these other places in 10, 15 years as well
0: yeah we've we've said to our we've said to our friends in other parts of the country, you know this movie's coming to a theater near you It's true.
2: It's true. Uh, so we are
0: we're delighted to for, to have you spend the time with us. Thanks so much for uh, all your insight, for the things you're passionate about. We look so forward to having your leadership, Thank at you, Talbot right. in the years to come. So thanks for joining us. Hope you've enjoyed this conversation, uh, and we'll see you next time.